We all hear over and over again to be sure to get enough fiber in our diet, but many of us fail to do so. Keeping this in mind and knowing the importance of fiber in our diet, fiber is the topic of today's Foodology Radio episode here at 22 West Radio. 22 West Radio is 22westmedia.com and 88.1 FM KKJZ AC3 Long Beach, Los Angeles. We live in a difficult time for those of us who just want to eat. We may sit at our own dinner table thinking what to eat from our own kitchen or what foods to avoid. We may think about that new supplement or that new superfood. I'm Aaron. And I'm Michelle. Together, we are the hosts of Foodology Radio. Tune in to hear the science of nutrition, receive dietary tips, have your own personal nutrition questions answered, and so much more. Disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational purposes only. We are nutrition students, not medical professionals. This information should not be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Before making any substantial changes to your diet or lifestyle, please consult a physician, registered dietitian, or other medical professionals. Welcome back to Foodology Radio. This is your host, Michelle. And I'm Aaron. And today's episode is all about fiber. Yeah, the good stuff, if you ask me. Or the, the indigestible part of food, but we'll talk about that later. We'll go more in detail about that. But yeah, today's episode is about fiber to repeat Michelle. Like always, we're going to start off with nutrition in the news. So for my article today, it's titled, Can Dietary Fiber Intake Be Increased Through Nutritional Education and Through Subsidies on Selected Food Products? So like many of us know, Americans aren't getting the fiber that we need partially due to our Western diets full of meat and dairy, very low in vegetables and fruits, the ones that are rich in fiber. There are many factors contributing to how much fiber one consumes, including ethnicity, race, age of the household head, region, and the presence of children. Households below poverty thresholds also have lower intakes of fiber compared to households who are above the poverty threshold. So there are two main ways that the government can help increase dietary fiber intake. The first way is to influence the diets of consumers. So by publishing guidelines for a healthy diet through nutrition recommendations and dietary experts, Uh, the government can help uh, increase whole grain intake, which we know is important for the prevention of a lot of chronic diseases, including heart disease and diabetes. The second way for the government to influence the intake of fiber is to provide subsidies for fruits and vegetables. For example, a 10% subsidy for low-income Americans was found to increase consumption of fruits by 2.1 to 5.2% and vegetables by 2.1 to 4.9%. Furthermore, a 20% subsidy on healthy dishes in a university cafeteria led to a 6% increase in the consumption of healthy foods and a 2% decline in the consumption of less healthy foods. One study found that dietary fiber intake increased um, due to the 
U.S. Department of Agriculture making specific intake recommendations in 2005. The release of the 2005 Dietary Guidelines for Americans increased the availability and the sales of whole grain foods, uh, mostly due to the reformulation of existing products. Another study looked at providing subsidies to SNAP participants, or the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. This study provided SNAP participants with 30% incentive for purchases of targeted fruits and vegetables under the USDA Food and Nutrition Service Healthy Incentives Pilot. And what they found was that this incentive was able to close the gap between recommended and current intake of fruits and vegetables by about 20%. This article proposed a 20% subsidy on all fruits and vegetables, increasing the intake of fiber uh, on average by 9.4% per person, which would only be a gain of 0.41 grams per person on average. So the average person needs about 25 grams of fiber per day um, per 2,000 calories consumed, according to the Dietary Guidelines for Americans um, of 2015 to 2020. But the average American only consumed 16 grams per day in 2009 to 2010. So taking into account how much fiber we're consuming and how much we need, 0.41 grams is really not a big um, increase in the amount of fiber we need in our diet. So therefore, we would need more than just a government subsidy to actually meet our recommended guidelines for fiber intake. Yeah, but that's that's really really crazy. Like, it kind of goes against conventional wisdom. Like, you would think people would follow that, but I guess not. Like, at least me. Like, I don't know why. I find that not too hard to believe. Sadly, in this place. Yeah. So it increased fiber intake, but only by a little bit. Yeah, point. Yeah, a little bit. Like point four grams. I mean, like, if you were to put that on a nutrition facts label, it wouldn't even register. Like, as a number on it. Like, if a quantity in a nutrition facts label was less than half a gram, it would say zero. So it wouldn't even show up like as a significant Yeah, change. it's just so insignificant. 0.4 grams, that's... Wow. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I could say, just wow. So that leaves me with my nutrition and news, and I found mine from the University of... I don't even know. This is a weird university name. Wajin Injin. I am... 100% sure I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, Wageningen University. It's a university in the Netherlands. And they made a study, and an article I read about the study was titled, Are Consumers Wasting More Food Than We Thought? The, find, or the, the article mentioned that food waste can be much, much higher than we previously thought. So previously before, the FAO stated that about 214 calories per day of food waste was wasted um, in a given day from every single person on average. But the study actually suggests that it could be much, much higher, more than double at 527 calories per day, which, I mean, that's like a quarter of what the average person requires. So I found that a little bit insane. Um, It's just... Yeah, that's just crazy. But the FAO data also, kind of keep in mind, it just includes um, food supply. 
So it doesn't also take in consideration the consumer behavior. And this new study also has taken consideration of consumer behavior, um, in addition to how wealth may influence food waste from people. So the study that I mentioned or that I'm referencing uh, used the FAO's food supply sheet, uh, the World Health Organization's body weight for the country that's being studied. And also, um, the researchers assign activity levels based on the Human Development Index. So this was used to essentially find the difference between the amount of calories the country needs on average per individual person to sustain themselves and also the amount of food that's produced in that country. And that's how they figured out the 527 calorie uh, per day uh, food discrepancy between the requirements that we need and also that uh, amount that we end up not eating. The study also found that increasing food waste, um, interestingly enough, was increased with increasing wealth. So I guess that makes logical sense. Just the country can afford more and they buy more food and people's satiety or like, so people's hunger doesn't necessarily follow their wealth. They just buy more and their hunger doesn't change so they waste more so just look at our country right so we have huge huge food waste especially around grocery stores the study also mentioned further on the reading that about one third of food is wasted overall which is absolutely astonishing every one piece of food out of three is wasted which i don't even know how that's even allowable in our society just that's such a huge proportion of our food being wasted and we could feed a lot more people if we were to just reallocate that one third towards hungrier people and but with that with this being caused by food waste just being caused by all levels in the supply chain so yes food waste is also caused by the individual but you also got to look at food waste at a more like the company side of it so this being in relation with foods typically not being to, I guess, consumer standards of cosmetics. So they're not viewed as, I guess, pretty or shiny enough. So they're typically thrown out in the trash. But to count, just uh, to counteract this, uh, we actually found an interesting company. It's called Imperfect Foods. And this is a company that typically takes foods that is not deemed like good enough for grocery stores, not pretty enough to be sold in grocery stores, and actually sells it to you through their service. And I find this interesting as a good way of just reducing food waste where food would have gone bad in the first place. Like you didn't even get a chance to go into a grocery store, and you get an option to buy it. And actually, Interestingly enough, Michelle here has in has experience with this. So Michelle, how was your experience with the food? Was the food really that ugly even? Like Yeah, so I, I used it over the summer a lot. I used it like I had a two week every two weeks subscription, not sponsored, but like yeah, it's not sponsored guys. Even like, it like I totally loved it. Like um the food didn't even look, I couldn't even tell that it was like supposed to be imperfect like every once in a while you'd get like a weird looking carrot but like <laughs> it's still perfectly edible and it was you could get like organic or you could get like the conventional so you had the choice so it's a lot cheaper and a box just gets delivered at your door so you don't have to go anywhere you just select which foods you want online um, it was super easy. They had like a few different options, but I liked it personally because I don't like um, choosing fruits and vegetables. I don't 
really know which ones to choose when I go to the grocery store. Um, so it just limits my options a bit more so that I don't have as much to choose from and keeps me from being like overwhelmed when I'm at the grocery store. Yeah, so it's a really good way to get fresh produce delivered straight to you, super hassle-free and convenient. And now they're even offering um, this option where they can take your box back so that it gets recycled. It it gets delivered in a cardboard box, which you can just recycle on your own, but um, I think it's cooler that they can reuse it instead. So if waste um, is like a concern for you, like in the packaging, um, they really don't use a ton of packaging and you can just leave your box at your doorstep um, on the day that you're getting your other box and they'll take back the box for you. And that is a, that's amazing. I didn't know they did that. What an eco-friendly way of buying your foods. Uh, imperfect foods, if you're ever thinking of getting into it. We're not sponsored, by the way. want to repeat that. So... Again, that's uh, focusing on the individual part of food waste, but looking more at it through individual grocery stores, now we can see that, of course, not every single fruit and vegetable is going to be purchased. Some are just going to sit in there for many, many days and just rot, and no one's going to buy it, and everyone's going to think that's ugly. Even if it's discounted, no one's probably going to buy it. And that's a lot of food that grocery stores just throw out in the back. Uh, Just a lot of bananas, a lot of apples not being eaten. And even like um, other foods, like packaged foods, like soup or bread, um, it, it's still uh, fine. It's not uh, even reached the expiration date even. It's just too close for it, for so- grocery stores to be comfortable selling it. So they end up just putting it in the back, uh, throwing it away, and just becoming food waste for no one to buy or no one to eat. Or at least I think like, they should at least donate it to like. Uh, I don't know, like charities or other orphan houses for them to eat it, especially since they have usually a hard time getting the finances down for food. But uh, that's another policy that we can talk about another time. And of course, with focusing again with the individual, of course, another common force of for, form of food waste is individual food waste. You buy your food and it just sits in your fridge and does nothing. And you just sit there and you're thinking about it. Maybe I should really eat that salad I bought like a week ago and it just sits there and no one you never end up eating it and that's the form of food waste which I personally I don't understand this form of food waste I don't know how people can at least like tolerate it as much as they do right now because if you think about it it's just like you buy a food costs five bucks and if you were to leave the grocery store and someone was to come up to you and take like I don't know like a 30 or a a fourth of your food or a fifth of your food and just throw it, throw it out in the trash, you'd be really, really mad at that person. Like, hey, I just bought that food. I don't want to eat that, right? But that's essentially what we do just over a longer period of time. And we end up being the ones throwing away our, throwing away our food by putting it in the trash can because we just never got to eating it or we just chose not to eat it or it's leftovers and you just end up throwing it away. So... Yes, those are major sources of food waste that we have to focus on, the individual part, uh, the companies themselves, so the grocery stores, and also just more of the economics, farmer, grocery store connection, which is food not looking uh, the way that we want to. Yeah, we could do a whole episode about food waste, to be honest. There are so many little, like, small individual will. ways we can decrease our food, our own individual food waste, like freezing your food before it goes bad or just, like, 
knowing how much to buy ahead of time so you don't waste any, and reusing food scraps. There's just so many options. Yeah, that's definitely going to be an episode we'll be doing. We'll be doing later on this year. So stay tuned for that, and I'm sure we're all excited for that food waste episode. Such a huge topic nowadays. Yeah, but anyways, this today's episode is all about fiber, and we're going to talk more about that when we come back from break. And we're back. Today's episode is all about fiber, so why don't we start off with the definition of fiber? So fiber is non-digestible carbohydrates and lignans, which are woody parts in plants. And there are two types, soluble and insoluble fiber. Yeah, so that's a very, very general definition of what fiber is, but I promise you, we will go more in depth in just a few short minutes. So, like I said, I've been very intro to this show. Um, we hear very often we should get as much fiber as we can or like try to eat more fiber in our diets. But the good question to ask in this case is, what about if there's too much fiber? So we eat a lot of fiber as we probably should be doing. And what if, is there a thing as overdoing it exactly? So excessive fiber actually, particularly from um, usually commonly from supplements. Uh, it's pretty hard to do this with just food, but if you're taking a lot of fiber supplements, it's a lot higher of a risk of um, acquiring this. But excessive fiber can actually cause what is called a bezoar, uh, which I find is an interesting name. I don't know why, just fun pronouncing it, bezoar, bezoar, bezoar. But bezoar is usually an excess of water-soluble fiber. So you have a lot of water-soluble fiber, which tends to form a gel in your small intestines. And if you don't have enough water, you could actually have such a hard stool from this that you can actually become constipated, interestingly enough. And to this, some, some cases, uh, as severe as requiring surgery, actually, to get rid of the bezoar in your small and your large intestines. So it's a, it's a really big issue if you really overdo the fiber. But again, this typically comes from supplements. It's pretty hard to do this just with like bananas, beans, veggies. Um, so it's mostly regarding supplements. Uh, there's also some issues with the human body or some uh, disease states. So what off comes off to mind to me is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, uh, also IBS. Um, if you're not adequate to or adequated to a high fiber diet, so if you're previously coming from a Western American diet, typically very low in fiber, and if you all of a sudden go to like 50 or even more grams of fiber, you can have some gastrointestinal issues to say the least, uh, like which includes uh, bloating, excess gas, uh, brain fog, and abdominal cramps. If you try to increase your fiber too much and the brain fog and abdominal cramps, uh, that mostly is regarding the disease states of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which we will talk about later. Also the acronym being SIBO and the bloating and excessive gas being also from SIBO, but those two is coming from just being a very high fiber diet when you're not adjusted to it. Yeah, so in consuming an excess of fiber in the form of supplements is probably not a good idea. But anyways, back to um, the two classes of fiber, insoluble and soluble. So um, insoluble fiber is the kind that doesn't dissolve in water. It's mostly cellulose and lignans. It often is the outer coating or the skin of plant foods. 
And soluble fiber is the kind that does dissolve in water, so it's often the inner parts of foods. For example, this can be found in the pectin fiber inside of apples. Yeah, and as previously said before, it's what actually makes the gel part in the small intestines. You should keep that in mind because we're going to say that pretty often. It's a pretty important function when it comes to the benefits of soluble fiber. Which actually segues us perfectly into talking about such benefits. So one benefit that we may hear pretty often is weight management. So increase your fiber intake to help satiate you, which helps you eating fewer foods and fewer calories, which can also help with weight management so you don't excessively gain weight over a long duration of time. So the weight management aspect of food, particularly coming from soluble fiber, so the fiber that dissolves in water and the fiber, as I literally just said, that makes a gel um, in your small intestines. And this gel consistently in your small intestines actually slows down the passageway of food going through your small intestines. So it doesn't go by your small intestines like, like, I don't know, like Sonic or something. And it goes by really, really fast just goes through you, stays in there, make sure you're satiated for a higher amount of time. And this um, also being with weight management, higher fiber foods also having, requiring typically more chewing. So particularly coming from whole foods, um, you require more chewing to eat uh, whatever food you're talking about. So like an apple may may take you like, at least for me, it takes like 10 minutes eat an apple or five minutes eat an apple where the same amount of calories with a low fiber food like i don't know what's a low fiber food like ramen or a donut it'll take you you can probably eat that like two minutes or like a minute right so it requires way more time if you eat high fiber foods um, which also with this more time also gives your body more time to tell you I'm hungry, or I'm not hungry, I'm, I'm full, I don't need to eat as much. So it allows you to kind of gauge, gauge your body's signals better if you, give your, if you require more time to eat whatever food you're trying to eat. Yeah, so fiber is a huge um, component, component of fullness because digestion starts like in our mouth. So like Aaron was saying, like when you chew an apple, you're already like beginning to digest and that's what's keeping you full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's important to it's important to try to get some higher fiber foods to just help with weight management, feeling more full from the food itself, and also taking more time to eat that food itself, itself, so you can better get cued with your hunger signals or satiety signals. Next benefit of fiber also being prebiotics. So exactly, like we all heard probiotics at least at one point of our, our, our life, but some of us may not have heard of prebiotics. So what exactly are prebiotics? So before getting into this, we just quickly define just for to better distinguish between the two, probiotic being live cultures. We'll have an episode on that soon. It's not the topic of today's episode, but just so you know, just for future reference, probiotic are live cultures, but specifically for this episode, prebiotics are the foods that these live cultures or live bacteria feed on, so the fiber can actually help feed the bacteria. Yeah, so it's what the gut, what our gut bacteria eat. Yeah, so they, they thrive on the fiber, also known as prebiotics. So 
specifically prebiotics, of course, being fiber as well, but also it includes other things like resistant starches. So the starch that we have in our food, so the starch in potatoes, the starch in bread, uh, some of them may actually resist digestion and could actually reach the large intestine where, um, where our live cultures or bacteria are held. And they could also act as a prebiotic. So not many people know that. Starch could actually be a prebiotic and also in that form, a fiber. Lignans can also be a prebiotic. So these are the woody parts of food. Um, bacteria could also eat these lignans. Resistant oligosaccharides also can feed the, the gut microbiota. So very famous oligosaccharide being human milk or human milk oligosaccharides is what babies usually drink out of from human breast milk. Human breast milk being a very good source of oligosaccharides, thus feeding the baby's microbiome. This is how they usually develop their first uh, their first uh, round or their first development of their microbiome. Specifically, the bacteria that these prebiotics or fibers or resistant starches or lignans or oligosaccharides or whatever you're talking about, whatever you want to mention, uh, these fibers or prebiotics can also feed specifically uh, bacteria strains, the bifidobacterium and the lactobacilli. These are the good bacteria that you have in your colon, and these are the ones you want to have a higher proportion of. This is these are the bacteria that could aid you in uh, preventing or lowering your chances of inflammatory diseases and colon cancer as well, if you have good populations of these good bugs, so to say. And prebiotics with increasing proportions of bifidobacteria and lactobacilli, again, the good bacteria, uh, these could wheeze out and make less space for the more harmful bacteria, so like E. coli and Clostridium perfringens. Uh, this increased proportion of a good bacteria could just not make enough space for this. Like, where's, they have nowhere to go. They're kind of, they don't know where to go. So they typically tend to decrease the growth of these bad bacteria. The fermentation process of these soluble fibers from the good bacteria can also create acidic byproducts, so like lactic acid in your colon. And these acidic byproducts, um, there also could be short-chain fatty acids, such as predominantly 90 to 95% of your short-chain fatty acids being in the form of butyrate, acetate, and propanate. So these three acids could lower the pH of your colon and which could for, which can help uh, fight diseases such as like colon cancer and also against uh, harmful back pathogens because typically pathogens do not like the acidic environment and if you have good bacteria fermenting the fiber, the fiber to uh, short-chain fatty acids and other acidic byproducts lowering the pH of your colon you could also reduce the risk of harmful bacteria or other pathogens colonizing your colon and wreaking havoc all over your body. Furthermore, bowel regularity. So we all hear fiber is good for bowel regularity. We all want to eat fiber to make sure you are regular and that we don't skip going to the toilet for almost two days. Some people do that and I don't know how that's possible. You, you, you That person needs more fiber if you ask me. But besides that, uh, insoluble fiber being the one that has the bowel regularity benefits, not so much the soluble fiber, because insoluble fiber doesn't dissolve in water, as I said before, so it doesn't create the gel-like consistency that soluble fiber does, and thus not slowing down the small intestines, but actually helping it speed 
up as well. So insoluble fiber could aid in constipation by remaining in the feces and not being consumed by the bacteria and help the stool absorb water and helping it keep it soft, moisturize, and have an easier time being push down your intestinal tract to be excreted out as stool, uh, the formal way of saying poop. But uh, be wary. Supplements marketed for constipations are actually, more often than not, a form of soluble fiber. And as hopefully you may have learned by now, soluble fiber is not what is helpful for constipation. And if anything, it may actually hinder your, I guess, it may actually worsen your constipation because it just slows down the food content of your intestines um, and this slowing down could help you or not help you may make you not want to go to the toilet which in this case not the way you want to go so if you're buying a supplement make sure it's an insoluble fiber not a soluble fiber like psyllium husk that's a that's a very common uh, fiber supplement that's soluble so if you're looking for insoluble fiber typically look for oat bran also wheat bran pretty much anything brand that's a good form of insoluble fiber yeah you definitely want to make sure you are defecating at least once a day and eating insoluble fiber because that's what makes up your the bulk of your stool and the regularity as well so makes you makes you want to go back because uh you kind of need to go back or else you kind of feel weird the rest of the day not talking from experience <laughs> so the next benefit is easing diarrhea. Um, so of course, the exact opposite of constipation actually diarrhea. So your your stool, to say formally, is very very watery, and you have frequent visits to the toilet. So. You, Again, this is the other extreme of the, of the spectrum, and you definitely do not want to be in this. But to ease with diarrhea, this is also, if we mentioned comeback before, soluble fiber forming a gel-like consistency, slowing it down. And since you're typically having the stool pass too fast in diarrhea and becoming very, very uh, watery and very thin, uh, soluble fiber can, again, slow down the stool, making it not take... Uh, making it take more time to go through the intestines and helping to kind of, I guess, make it into one piece, not just water all over the place. And who wants watery stool? Not me. So again, this soluble fiber just retains water, so it makes it uh, into one piece. Soluble fiber, uh, besides these di the diarrhea benefits, could also have other benefits, more functional, also call like a functional fiber, I like to call it, because it's often the fiber, often the fiber that gives you the physiological benefits that we often associate with fiber. One example of this is soluble fibers, ability to lower your own cholesterol levels. So this could be just because that soluble fiber actually could help bind with bile in your, in your intestines and actually prevent bile from being reabsorbed. So soluble fiber can just retain bile in the stool and preventing your body from reuptaking it to be recycled. And since bile typically requires cholesterol to be made, uh, your body requires more of your cholesterol in your blood to be allocated to remake bile. And this could just uh, lower your cholesterol storage, thus lowering your cholesterol levels in your own blood. 
soluble fiber can also have the benefit of controlling blood sugar. So as I previously stated before, soluble fiber's gel-like consistency characteristics on stool could also can actually slow down the absorption of sugar in foods, and this could actually lower the glycemic index or how much how fast your body can digest the food and spike up your sugar levels and just by the mechanism of slowing down sugar absorption so soluble fiber is actually really important for diabetics to make sure to be having an adequate intake of because it could really help with slowing down sugar intake when they already have uh, blood sugar issues and as i previously stated before uh Soluble fiber is also the fiber directly responsible for feeding the gut microbiome. So not the insoluble fiber, not, not, not that so much, but more of the soluble fiber because that's the one that bacteria have an easier time accessing and an easier time fermenting. So now that you know the benefits of fiber, or at least a very general rundown of, well, not very general, some of them are really, really specific, but um, a good run, rundown on the benefits of fiber is also important to kind of remind you guys to make sure you're drinking enough water, which uh, goes with the theme because our last episode was water. So just make sure you're drinking enough water to prevent the fiber in your stool. Again, particularly, particularly the soluble fiber in your stool from becoming a bezoar and just wreaking havoc and uh, you having to have a conversation with a doctor like, hey doctor, I have not gone through the toilet in over a month and I think there's something wrong with you or something wrong with me. And the doctor would be like, yeah, you probably have a, a really big thing in your in your stool. You need surgery. So we don't want constipation as well. That's a less severe version of it. So make sure you drink enough water. Uh, PSA of the day, short PSA. So now that we know all the amazing benefits of fiber, you might be wondering, what are some sources of fiber? So, (laughs) one of the main sources of fiber is plant foods, whole plant foods. So, first of all, whole grains. So, whole grains meaning the endosperm, the germ, and the bran because refined grains remove the bran which takes out the insoluble fiber so you want to eat whole grains because they contain both insoluble and soluble. Another good source of fiber is fruit. So berries are a really high source of fiber and any fruit with skins so try to eat the skins if possible for the added insoluble fiber benefits. Yeah, so fruit examples being papaya, so uh, also apple, car- um, not carrots, uh, kiwis. So again, as Michelle said, try to eat the skins of the fruit if possible, if the skin is edible. So apple is obviously very easy to eat the skin. Uh, kiwis also, people apparently, uh, don't eat the skin of kiwis. Uh, well, I personally eat the, ki- the skin of kiwis. I uh, know you, you do, Michelle, right, as well? Yeah, I used to think it was so weird, but like lots of people in like other parts of the world, like the UK or something, like eat the skin. And when I discovered that, I thought it was so weird, but I actually discovered there were benefits to eating the skin, so I started doing it too. <laughs> yeah, 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 you definitely do get the benefits of having the insoluble fiber portion of kiwi skins whenever you do eat it. And this is a just a side point. Um, I don't know, ever since starting eating kiwis with the skin, I can kind of like never think of going back to the no skin life because I personally <laughs> think it's sort of like a big in- inconvenience trying to cut this kiwi in half and then spoon it rather than just eating it 
straight up like an apple, I find it a lot easier and more likely me eating kiwis if it just acts like an apple. Just pick it up and eat it like that. It's just like eating it's a little fuzzy you know and people might be scared but it's just like mm. think about eating yeah. the fuzz of a peach yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's one way of saying it yeah but i guess i can understand why people maybe not be comfortable with it just like it's not normal to do it and maybe it's a bit fuzzy but it sounds looks weird but like just think of it like eating like a peach and trust me after a while of doing it you'll be like me and you'll never want to go back to the no skin life skin of kiwis for the win if you ask me yeah, kiwi skin is great. So, in addition, veggies are also a great source of fiber. For example, broccoli, the stem, is particularly high in insoluble fiber. And lastly, beans. Beans are really high in fiber. And fun fact, that's what causes flatulence, otherwise known as farts. <laughs> So You said it was such a straight face. I can never say it with such a straight <laughs> face like that. I know. Um, yeah, so basically, beans contain um, a type of fiber known as oligosaccharides, which is only partially digested by our body, and the rest, microbes have to feed off of it, and when they do, this releases gas. So that's what makes you so gassy after you eat beans. Yeah, the really high fiber content of beans could definitely cause uh, a little bit of a flatulence, to say the least, if you're not so used to it. But uh, to help co to help uh, combat this, you could also soak your beans if you're cooking them dried. You could help soak it overnight, and this could actually reduce the load, the oligosaccharide load from the beans on your body, and could help you reduce the uh, the farts you have throughout the day. So yeah, that's a good tip for if you're going to choose to eat more beans, make sure to soak it before you eat it, uh, before you cook it actually, so you don't um, flatulate as often. Yeah, pro tip. And the last source of fiber is through supplements. Although whole foods are preferable, um, there are lots of fiber supplements available on the market including wheat bran, oat bran, psyllium husk, inulin, and so on. But like we said earlier, um, make sure you're buying the kind with insoluble fiber if you're trying to combat constipation because soluble fiber won't do anything to help that. Yeah, and it may actually, like I mentioned before, if anything, it may actually uh, worsen the constipation just by slowing down the passageway through your intestinal tract. And that concludes this segment. So we're going to just go on a short commercial break. And when we return, we'll be talking about how much fiber, the recommendation of fiber for um, the given age groups in our population. So stay tuned when we come back from the commercial break. And welcome back. Before break, we were talking about sources of fiber, and now we're going to go straight into how much fiber should we actually get. So this depends on age and whether you're male or female. So for men that are younger than 50 years of age, the general recommendation is to consume 38 grams. This is on a 2,000-calorie diet. And for men who are older than 50, um, the general recommendation is 30 grams. If you're a female, if you're younger than 50, you need 25 grams. 
and if you're older than 50, you need 21 grams. However, like I mentioned earlier in my nutrition in the news, Americans only get about 16 grams of fiber on average. So we are not hitting our minimums at like at all, really. Like we're pretty behind when it comes to this. For if you're male, male younger than 50, if you're following the average, you're only getting like half of the fiber you are recommended to get at least of. So we as a country obviously could do a, a little bit of a better job when it comes to getting fiber. And so, yeah, we definitely have a big area of improvement in this area of nutrition. So what if you're thinking, okay, okay, I'm gonna add some fiber. And then you go from the average 16 up to, I don't know, like 50 or 60. Well, that may be going too fast for some people or for you as well. So if you're adding fiber too fast, like overnight, like after watching this episode on fiber, you're like, okay, I'm gonna up my fiber intake. Can you go too fast? Well, this may not allow your gut microbiome to adapt fast enough to the new fiber intake. And you may, you may feel the symptoms that we pre- previously mentioned with uh, too high of fiber intake, such as bloating and gas. And you may feel discouraged from increasing your fiber even more. But you, guys, you just gotta keep in mind that you just gotta give yourself time to adjust to this new way of eating, to this new fiber intake. So you can also experience, uh, on top of that, you can also experience a diarrhea or constipation um, depending um, on your individual basis as well. So after that, uh, you can also think of, okay, how do I do this? So what tips do we have for increasing your fiber intake? So Michelle, I know you have some good tips. So what about, how about you start this off? What, what are some tips for boosting your fiber intake? My first tip is to eat more berries. So like I mentioned earlier, berries are a really good source of fiber and it's super easy to incorporate into your diet. You can add it to your oatmeal, your yogurt, you can make it in a smoothie. Or you can just eat it sh- straight up. Like you can just have a, I don't know, like a bowl of berries. I think they're they're tasty enough where I think you can easily eat them on your own. Really, like they're a fruit after all. They taste pretty sweet. Yeah, they're, definitely. Yeah, they're one of the easiest ways of getting some more fiber and just adding berries whatever way you can, however you can. And we do know that berries are actually a very expensive food, but one way of helping to afford to having more berries in your diet, as uh, you should for other reasons besides fiber, such as the antioxidant content, is buying them frozen. So they're way they're much cheaper if you buy them in bulk on the freezer section, and uh, they may actually be healthy for you after all because they're picked at peak ripeness rather than being picked early, um, not allowing the fruit to develop all the nutrients that it can and being shipped to the grocery store that way. Other ways of also, or other tips on boosting your fiber intake is uh, along with berries, just eat more fruits and vegetables overall. And again, as previously stated, eat with the peel if you can, if it's edible. Uh, choosing beans like uh, split peas, pinto beans, black beans, red beans, uh, green lentils, red lentils, any lentils um, as a source of protein over meat and eggs. Uh, you can also add these to salads. So beans are really, really high source of fiber and you can double or you can actually do three bones or three bones, three birds with one stone if you choose beans as a source of fiber because with beans it's a good source of uh, minerals uh, protein as well and also fiber whole grains over refined grains as we previously stated as well so whole grains having more fiber than refined grains so try to choose the brown rice and the white rice white rice 
adding mashed or adding cauliflower, blending cauliflower to your mashed potatoes. You won't really notice it that much. And it's another good way of adding vegetables and of course also fiber to your mashed potatoes and also adding bran to your cereal. So uh, buying wheat bran or oat bran and directly adding it to your cereal or oatmeal in the morning as well. My last tip for increasing fiber intake is to eat your foods whole to feel full rather than juicing or blending because juicing and blending, like they take away the aspect of chewing, which is really important in feeling full and slowing down the absorption of sugar. So when you drink your fruits and vegetables, you're getting a higher sugar spike, so you feel hungry sooner. And you also... By this, you also just um, remove some of the fiber in foods as well, so you don't get the you don't get as much of the beneficial effects of fiber if you blend and juice your food, especially if you remove the pulp. So make sure you eat your foods whole if pref- if you can to get as much benefits from the food as you possibly can. Yeah. So if you've ever juiced celery before, um, you can see like all the juice being separated from all the pulp or like the super stringy part and that's all the fiber you're missing out on so really really important to eat your food whole so like we repeated probably many many times before is eat your food whole for eat your food whole if you can rather than blending it so on top of the the tips on getting fiber so what if how about this how about what is the potential negative effects of fiber for some people are there any negative effects of fiber if at all and the interesting answer is for some cases yes actually Um, some cases it may actually be preferential to lower your fiber intake if you have some diseases so a classic disease or maybe not classic is a fairly new disease that people are getting more and more interested in but it's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth also known as SIBO and it's what I'll be referencing as just because it's an easy acronym rather than saying small intestinal bacterial overgrowth over and over again so SIBO actually uh, accounts for a good portion of IBS cases and SIBO actually is just essentially for a general sum of it it's just bacteria either good or bad migrating to the small intestine from the large intestine and bacteria in the small intestine could ferment the carbohydrates early than it's supposed to like it's supposed to ferment in the large large intestine but it's fermenting now in the small intestines and this early fermentation can cause brain fog diarrhea constipation and abdominal cramps and that the bloating uh, specifically very very prominent when it comes to SIBO is a common symptom in SIBO is actually could be due to the gas due to bacterial fermentation making hydrogen and methane as well so bacteria get in your, in your intestinal tract starts to ferment and relay release a lot a lot of gas and it could cause severe severe bloating for some people kind of kind of people like calling it like a pregnant belly because the bloating can be really really severe when it comes to SIBO and since your bacteria are starting to ferment your food early and starting to eat your food when it's not or when it's not supposed to eat them early this could also increase your risk for nutrient deficiency since the bacteria they're eating the nutrients away from your food where they're going to the bacteria and not going to your own cells and also if you ask me, it's also a more psychological aspect of it since if you're eating uh, high-fiber foods, when you have SIBO, you may be discouraged from eating high-fiber high foods, or, which are often high-nutritious foods, just because you may not want to have such a bloated stomach when you have eaten whatever high-fiber food you're eating as well. 
So SIBO usually, or one cause of SIBO being the dysfunction of the ileocecal valve. Ileocecal valve being the sphincter or kind of like the door in some way of between your ileum, so the, your, your um, small intestine ileum, the end of your small intestine, to the cecum, which is the beginning of your large intestine. So the opening of this valve or the dysfunction of this valve can allow the bacteria in your large intestine to migrate to the small intestine and thus causing SIBO. Low stomach acid could also be a, a risk factor for developing SIBO since the bacteria typically killed in your stomach, but if they are failed to be killed in your stomach due to low stomach acid. They may also migrate to your small intestines and cause SIBO as well. And also recent anti antibiotic episodes. So if you're taking antibiotics and you're taking it for a very long time, uh, commonly killing your bacteria could also increase your risk of SIBO infections. So if you're taking a lot of antibiotics, you have a higher risk of developing SIBO. And if you want to make sure you're, you do have SIBO rather than just some other illness, it's often advised to have a test with your doctor. Uh, this is typically diagnosed as a breath test after consuming a sweet drink. So you go to a doctor's visit, they ask you to drink some lactose solution or a glucose solution, and they measure your breath test over time. And depending on what gases they detect in your breath, if they notice a high proportion of methane or hydrogen, they could uh, potentially diagnose you with SIBO and you could or you often are associated with the symptoms as I presented before. So that's a fairly rare uh, chronic illness case of having low fiber as a preferential way of eating compared to a high fiber diet. But um, on top of just uh, rare illness illnesses, you could also have, an, like I said before, an inadequate microbiome. So you previously, like I said before, you have 15 grams a day on average from your diet before, and then you listen to this episode, and then you go eat all the fiber, and now you're eating around 50 grams a day, and your stomach and your microbiome is not used to that, and you may experience excess bloating and gas. So in that case, high fiber foods on such mass quantities is not preferable or preferable and so you may want to slowly get into it maybe slowly add beans to your diet or more beans to your diet slowly migrate towards whole grains in your diet rather than going all in one day Uh, so that is another way that high fiber diets could be um, a detriment to you if you're not used to it and of course if that's the way if that's the case go slower Another interesting point for a um, lower fiber intake is could be during sports events. So light, lower fiber foods help in the speed of carbohydrate intake during sporting events to help fuel your workouts. So if you're doing very, very intense lifting, you could um, get away with having a high sugar drink or high sugar whatever food just to help replenish your carbohydrate stores and your glycogen stores in other words to make sure that you work out and or whatever you're going to be doing in 30 minutes you have the proper amount of fuel to go through that workout and not having such a low uh, carbohydrate store and to better perform and uh, potentially win the sporting event if you're doing a sporting event so low fiber or lower fiber foods for sporting events of course being um, 
fruits as well is a good source of it. So like bananas, dates especially. These two fruits are typically the higher sugar, lower fiber fruits of the fruit kingdom, especially dates. Uh, but other fruits as well could work fine, like apples or peaches. And of course, although not if you're gonna ask me, um, not as preferable as fruits, but a refined sugars could also work as well. And doing the same thing and replenishing your glycogen storage really, really quickly. Yeah, so that wraps today's episode on fiber, and hopefully you'll learn a few things. Hopefully you'll apply some of these tips, and uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, obviously, you'll go overnight from 16 grams to 50 grams, right? Like, like we talked about, that's a good thing to do, right? Obviously not. So yeah, take it slow. So hopefully you enjoyed our episode today on fiber, and before we before we go off we actually have the recipe of the week so today we decided to have a, a good meal with oatmeal one of my favorite meals of the day so i know michelle has a good recipe michelle how yes. do you make your oatmeal this is the oatmeal that i make it i make it the same way every time i switch it up like a tiny bit but for the most part it stays the same so oatmeal's packed with lots of fiber so that's why i thought this would be a good recipe for this week so my oatmeal consists of, consists of a half cup of rolled oats, one cup of plant milk. It could be my favorite ones to add are either oat or flax milk, and cinnamon. And then this is optional, but I really like adding like a bunch of seeds. So chia seeds, hemp seeds, and ground flax seeds. And then I top it with fresh fruits and nut butter. So usually for fruit, I do blueberries or bananas. And for nut butter, I usually go for peanut butter, sometimes almond butter. So yeah, that's my oatmeal recipe. Wow, sounds actually pretty similar to mine. Um, see, since we have a little bit of spare time, I can actually share mine. So mine's pretty similar, obviously oatmeal. Um, I think that's a given. How much oatmeal or how much wait oatmeal? There, I kind of I kind of speak today. How much oatmeal? Uh, I cannot tell you. I usually just do it how much look it looks good. So if you want me you want me to say cups, I'm not the guy to ask for cups. So just oatmeal, uh, blueberries and recipes. That's my uh, fruit of choice. Uh, the blueberry gives a nice sweetness, and the raspberries. Um, wait, did I say strawberries? Okay, blueberries and raspberries. I am off today. Blueberries gives a good sweetness. Raspberries also give a good acidity to the oatmeal, so that's a nice combo right there. Uh, a little bit of yogurt, so I do add like a little bit of soy yogurt that I make homemade actually. So that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Maybe we can show you. Maybe we can give a recipe home homemade soy yogurt. So just a little bit of it, just to give a little bit of probiotic effect of it. Uh, flax seeds as well, to particularly ground uh, walnuts and peanut butter as well. So I don't add like, the bananas or any of that. I prefer berries, but that's just me. You can add bananas if you want as well. I switch it up. It's it's either or. I don't do both bananas and blueberries at once, you know? I, I just do one or the other. Uh, yeah, mine's pretty... Yeah, mine's pretty standardized. I don't really deviate from much, much of it like day to day. It's always the same ingredients, but that's just me. I'm a weird person. I can eat the same thing every single day. And in fact, I do, but... Yeah, I'm a weird person. I know people get tired with taste when it comes to eating the same thing over and over again. But that's just not me. So besides that, hopefully you guys enjoyed our recipes we shared and also the lessons that hopefully we taught you and the fiber that you hopefully you'll be eating from now on. So thank you for listening to today's episode on fiber. 
And we'll see you on the very next episode. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at foodologyradio.weebly.com. Send us your questions by email at foodologyradio at gmail.com. Or on Instagram at CSULB Foodology Radio. Catch us next week on Tuesday at noon. Ooh, pretty baby. This world might have gone crazy. The way you save me, who could blame me when I just want to make you smile?